Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is uh, Just Human number 136. It is Flannel Friday. We are at the end of another insane week of news and uh, lots of lots of good news. Hope you all are doing well. Hope you all have had some coffee and are fully awake because we got some stuff to cover. I will see how much I can fit in and uh, whatever I can't, whatever I can't get in, I may have to save for Monday's show. Uh, there's quite a, there's quite a bit. So I think I'm, some of it, I'm just going to have to run through pretty fast. Uh, anyway, I'm excited about it. We've got some good news. I have to admit I'm, I, I got something wrong. So we're gonna have to cover me getting something wrong here early in the show. That's okay. All right, I got that. That I'm bookmarking a couple of things because as the as the stream was going live, I was like, "Oh, I need to cover this too. I need to have this." So I'm like, "I'm still I'm still prepping," which is so pro of me. So good morning, everybody on D Live, everybody on Twitch, Rumble, and Foxhole, everybody watching on Telegram. Glad y'all are here. These are all the places that you can watch, and uh, it's going pretty well. I'm glad I'm back on Mondays. I mean, um, on mornings. <laughs> I need more coffee. I'm glad I'm back on mornings. It's It felt pretty weird on Monday, but Wednesday and today, it felt right. Mornings. Morning shows, it's, it's, it works really well for me, and uh, I feel like... I have the rest of the day free instead like like when i was doing night shows like it felt like my whole day was trying to fit in prep for that night show and so it was like all building towards that night show and then after the show was over i would end up staying late doing post-show stuff like grabbing links and uh making clips from the show and stuff like that and then the next day i would be kind of i'd be pretty tired and um but with this, I like it more because I can spend my evening time after dinner, after family time. I can focus on preparing for the show for the next morning. And so I stay up later preparing. And then it's, well, ideally I have it all ready to go <laughs> by the time I get to this point. Uh, but then after it's done in the morning, it gives me, I have more, like the rest of the day feels a lot less... Uh, I don't know, like I'm not building towards something. Instead, I'm doing post-show work as I can throughout the rest of the day. Uh, so it just feels better. And uh, I'm liking it. My family's liking it that I'm back on mornings. Um, and it has freed me up to be able to go on some other shows now that I have evenings free. And last night, if you missed it, I would like to tell you about a show I went on and get to the right screen to share. I went on the EQ chamber with um, Johnny and Diddy, Patriot AU, Chad Vivas, AKA Cag Drogo. And man, we had a great time. Um, if you missed this show, you need to go watch it. You can find the re I, I posted the replay links on my uh, true social and on telegram. Um, but you can go follow any of these guys, any of the mods, um, or the people that are on the show, they have the link and it, we it's, you can watch the replay on rumble. You can watch it on Foxhole and man, it was just a great show. We had a great conversation. We hit it off real quick. Um, 
like in the pre-show, as soon as we joined the stream yard and everybody was there, we were already clicking, just like firing off, talking about news. And um, we were a couple minutes late starting the show because we were still going and making points. And it was like, oh man, we should have started streaming like minutes ago and just caught this whole conversation. Um, really good energy in that group. And, uh, I, I love having some of the people that were, um, that are part of this show, part of EQ chamber are in my telegram chat group. Um, and like Johnny, uh, uh, AKA Jay Quill right here or Jay kill. Um, he, he contributes quite a bit in the telegram chat here and there, you know, like he'll pop up for a while and jump into our conversations. And I really like what he has to contribute. So it was great being on a show with him and us getting to go back and forth. We, he did. He was kind of like, like a, I don't know. That moderator isn't the right word, but um, he was kind of conducting the panel, and I thought he did a great job to where a topic would be introduced, and then we go around the panel and everybody give their thoughts on it. And yeah, I just I just can't say enough good things. I, it was a privilege and a pleasure to be on that show. And um, looking forward to going back on it again uh, sometime. If you guys search EQ Chamber on Telegram, you'll find them. Or if you go to my Telegram or my True Social, you'll find the links for this show. Um, really good one. It went a little over an hour. And uh, yeah, great content. Pleasure. It's always so good to talk to other people in the community and get their thoughts on stuff and uh, to be contributive to one another and to build on one another's thoughts. And that's what happened in that show. It was great. So shout out to them. Really enjoyed it. And then if you missed it, I didn't, I didn't grab a link for it, but, um, I told y'all last Wednesday that I had some leftovers from the show. And so I would do a, um, a bonus hour and I did that bonus hour. I put it on my Substack and I put it on my locals. There we go. There we go. Now I got it. So I did a bonus hour like I used to when I was previously on mornings. Um, took the leftover material from the show, recorded an episode. It ended up being about an hour and 15 minutes. And it is on my Substack and it is on my locals channel. You don't have to be a paying member. Um, I don't have. I don't have any of my stuff behind a paywall. I want all the information. This is a this is an info war. This is a cognitive war. And I think the ammo for it should be free. And if you want to contribute, then you can by either paying to be a subscriber or supporter or buying me a cup of coffee. Um, those are those are great and very much appreciated. But I don't want to put anything behind a paywall. And if you're interested in some extras from Wednesday's show. The bonus hour is now on my Substack, and I like doing those things. It's a little bit different than doing a live show. It feels different because um, I'm not getting the live feedback from y'all in the chats. But it felt pretty good to do it. And the first half, first half was okay. Um, I compared the affidavit that was the, the affidavit has been further unsealed for the search warrant in the Mar-a-Lago raid. There's been some more of it that has been unsealed, so I went through that. And then in the second half, I went over, um, well, crap, what did I do? Uh, like raid stuff. So the, um, 
the raid on like the 35 to 50 people that are supposedly Trump allies. And I connected that to the Secret Service missing text and some other things. And I, I went over the timeline from these past few months as we've been building to uh, these search warrants and subpoenas that have gone out. And I'm, I'm putting forward the hypothesis that all of those things are connected. So it's pretty good. And on that topic of, um, let's see, let me grab, there's something I want to grab real quick. I already just kind of touched on it. Where is it? Where is it? Wasn't this, wasn't there. There we go. Yeah. So yeah, let's go ahead and talk about, let's, let's hit on this real quick. Um, I, I didn't have this in the show, I don't think, but I put this out on Truth Social and uh, of course, a lot of people did their reacting instead of understanding thing, and that's okay. People love to react, makes them feel good, it gives them a, uh, a dopamine hit because they're reacting rather than trying to understand what is what is the message is, the point of the message is. But Peter Strzok had this tweet the other day, and he wrote, at this point, FBI may have more cell phones than a Verizon store. Uh, yuck, 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 yuck. And then he lists some of the people who got subpoenaed or um, search warrants, and Rudy Giuliani, Victoria Tunsey, Michael McDonald, Scott Perry, John Eastman, Jeff Clark, Boris Epstein, Mike Roman, Mike Lindell. And Peter Strzok made the point, the FBI can't seize any of them without probable cause. They contain evidence of a crime. Now, most of the, a lot of the takes on there were like, ah, the FBI can do whatever they want. They're lawless. They're they're the Gestapo. Blah, blah, blah. All right, 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 yeah, yeah. Go ahead with that take. Peter Strzok is correct. Now, that doesn't mean the FBI doesn't, and like other law enforcement, don't screw up or don't fudge things or don't create probable cause when it's convenient for them. That, is, that doesn't mean that. That does happen. And then, then the people can sue and the judge can rule they didn't have legit probable cause and the case can get thrown out or search warrant can get thrown out. But all of these, all of these search warrants being used on all these different people, um, I don't think that you go for targets this big unless you're pretty dang sure of the probable cause because other, because you're messing with some people who ha are powerful people that have powerful connections and have money and have influence and know the best lawyers and can combat that if they need to, when some of them are combating it. But there's a reason that all of these people got raided and there's more than what's in this list. And the question, the real question is, whose crimes do they can contain evidence of? They're going after all of these phones, and I'm not sure what else. Whose crimes? It's not a given that just because someone gets a search warrant or a subpoena, that it's their crimes, that the per they, they committed a crime. That's not necessarily a given. And in this instance, I'm really thinking that maybe a handful of the people who got a search warrant or a subpoena are actually, um, actually have some, have some crimes. 
have actually engaged in cr criminality in it's, it's some in some way. But the rest of them that got raided, I think they got people. I think they just got text messages and phone calls and other things from those people who committed crimes. And one of the things, that, as soon as I heard this, heard this news that really like told me, it told me as much as anything could. The fact that Rudy Giuliani and Victoria Tunsing were raided again, sort of search raided, quote unquote. Um, Rudy Giuliani is an asset, and so. He's he's just handing over evidence like he has for years and years. Uh, and, and the fact that he's in that list, I was like, oh, well. This this is some kind of. Uh, this is I don't want to say a sting, but this is a handoff. Anyway, I covered some of this and I covered a timeline in the bonus hour, if you're interested in that and built up to what I think is is going on uh, with that. This is a really this this tweet ended up being a good example of it's better to understand the message and to think past who it is that's saying it rather than just react to it. Um, and then Julian's rum, you can count on Julian's rum to not just react. You can count on Julian's rum to really get the point of the message. Shout out to him for sharing this drop because it made all the sense in the world in connection with what Struck said. Drop 1287, Cohen raid by FBI. What was that? It was a handoff. Public context, repayment to Stormy Daniels. Special counsel and FBI raided POTUS's attorney to pull Stormy Daniels' payment info. RR signed off, Rod Rosenstein. What other docs were collected? How many places raided? How about a raid on the president of the United States attorney for payment details? Read the private case, re reference Stormy Daniels. Think logically. How do you introduce evidence into an investigation legally? Who has everything? Methods which info, which info collected obtained. Admissible in court of law. You got to ask these questions. You got to ask these questions about this kind of stuff. How do we get this evidence in? Like people are always making comments and um, some of the things I've, I've shared where it's like, we know they're guilty. We know they did this. We know they cheated on this. We know it's obvious to everyone that such and such is a traitor. Do you have evidence that you can put into a court of law that proves that? We all have we all have beliefs about a lot of people. We all have like I think that's something that that um we kind of get confused about sometimes, including me, where you have a belief about someone's criminality or a belief that something happened. But when it comes to getting into a court of law and using the law to get a conviction, your beliefs don't matter. It's the evidence. It's what you can prove. And you have to be able to get obtain that evidence legally. You have to be able to put it into the court legally. And you have to convict that person in that court. It's not about what you think you know or what you believe. It's about what you can prove. And I just want to say, I don't want to grab this. This clip of Mike Lindell. Um, I, didn't, I didn't have this during my show, but I wish I did. 
I, I, I'm not making fun of Mike Lindell, okay? I just think that Mike Lindell is really playing a role here. I, I really do. I don't know about how much of this I'm going to play, but my, Mike Lindell, he, he's not, he's telling a narrative. He's telling a narrative right here. From you, and how did it all end, Mike? Well, it's kind of ironic because the last two weeks on my show, the Lindell Report on FrankSpeech.com, I've been saying how you know I hear about the FBI bashing people's doors in in Colorado, and hear about everything going on with the January 6th stuff. And I said, how come the FBI doesn't come to me and bash my door in? And I know why, because I have all the evidence. They don't want to see the truth. Well, that is exactly the same framing and joke that Rudy Giuliani told when he got raided and said, they came and took all my devices, like 17 of them. But I had, I tried to give them the Hunter Biden laptop, but they didn't want it. It's like the same joke only retold from Mike Lindell's perspective. Well, now here's what happened. Uh, my friend and I left for Iowa from Minnesota here to go uh, early duck hunting. It's, it's a teal season there. We drove down there. It's a two and a half hour drive at 4, 4 a.m. yesterday. We get down there. We got nine ducks. I had to be back by noon to do a bunch of filming for mystore.com for these entrepreneurs. All of them. I had appointments with them all to film them for all their products and stuff. Well, here here um, I, we get to my to Mankato, Minnesota, which incidentally is where I was born. It's kind of, that's kind of ironic. And I said, you know what, let's quick go through a drive-thru here. We pulled in a Hardee's drive-thru. We order our food. She says, can you pull ahead a little, well, stuff, a few things aren't done, we'll bring it out to you. Well, then a car pulled in front of me, perpendicular, sideways, and he's like, I go, what's this guy doing? And uh, I go, Tom, that's weird. Because the guy was sitting there and he wasn't looking at us. And so, so he cut then, you off. He, he cut yeah, your vehicle yeah. up. He cut me off, so he's in front of us like this. Then another car comes, pop the side, and boxes us into the right side. Then I watch my rearview mirror, and a car comes flying up the drive through lane and stops right behind us. So you're boxed in completely, and I go, I, I go to my friend. I go, we got some, these are some bad people. And I go, just stay here. And I open the door, and I said, who are you guys? And uh, they were all random cars and random people, and they uh, – and he goes, we're with the FBI. And I said, show me some badges. I don't believe you. So they all, about three of them showed badges. I said, what do you want? Are you, are, you, are you arresting me for something? No, no, we want to talk to you. I said, okay. And um, so we pulled, I pulled over to the right there. They pulled the cars apart, pulled over to the right. We get out and they start asking me questions. There's three guys. I think a couple of them were Colorado FBI, a couple of Minnesota FBI. One, one gal and at least four of them, there might have been more on this, because now I'm kind of focused on this circle of FBI guys. And uh, they start asking me questions. One of the first ones were, um, you have evidence up about uh, do, inside a Dominion machine up on your uh, website, frankspeech.com. And I said, yeah, I do. I said, uh, they deleted evidence from the 2020 election. And I said, I have uh, lawsuits against them, or they, they do against my pillow and myself. And I said, there, the evidence has been up there for all to see since February. Then he asked me another question. I said, does this have anything to do with January 6th? 
Uh, he goes, no. And I he said, no, not at all. And I said, well, would you tell those guys? I wasn't there, but I would love to come to their little charade and bring the <laughs> evidence with me. And he says, Mike, this we're focusing on something else here. And I said, no, you need to tell them. If you know other FBI guys, you tell them. Because I've reached out to the January 6th people and i said i said it's ridiculous then i said i told the fbi guys i said i kind of took over the conversation i said did you realize that the fbi did a report on june 26 of 2021 a six-month investigation and they said there is no collusion between donald trump and his supporters it should have been the end of the story but no they still have people in prison and everything else from that big from that Mike, Mike, did, did the agent ever tell you why the hell they were stopping you well, then, well then, then he said, then they asked me, they asked me, I said, so what is this about? And then he goes, uh, tell us about your airplane. You fly it to all these different states. And I go, what, what do you want to hear about my airplane? I said, I said, but I'm not, that's not in your business. But if you must know, I said, I go to attorney generals, secretary of states, and other politicians to get rid of these electronic and computer. Okay. So that's my pause. He they're in a drive-thru. They have to wait for their food because it's not ready yet. So they pull over to wait for their food to come, for them, a worker, presumably, to bring their food out from the Hardee's. And they get surrounded by, I believe it was three cars, and they get blocked in. And so Mike Lindell steps out to confront them because they're bad guys, and he tells the guy in the in the car with him, his friend, to stay in the car. Like I'm gonna handle these three car carloads worth worth of bad guys. Um, and then he goes into this long story about how he's given them, like he's given them the whole litany of all the things he does, and J six and the 2020 election, and. I don't know guys like I I just feel like I just feel like this story isn't exact this isn't exactly how it went down um I think the um I don't doubt that this happened I'm just saying that like I think that he's really embellishing here um and I love Mike Lindell please nobody think that I'm I'm calling him a liar or I'm saying anything bad about him at all i'm not at all uh i just think that he's doing what mike lindell does and there's this the story just is there's things about it that are like i'm not sure it exactly went down exact just like that mike voting machine i said that's what i do now what else you got then they asked me oh that's a great point emmy shanks doesn't he have bodyguards i'm pretty sure mike lindell has security I'm pretty sure Mike Lindell has security. Where was his security when this happened? I know they went on a hunting trip, but I'd, I'd be surprised if he didn't have his security with him everywhere he goes, considering all the things he's into and all the threats that have been made against him. When I met Tina Peters, I said, you're the FBI. You know, I met her at the cyber symposium a year ago. Of course, you know that. Everybody knows that. And they, uh, then they asked when I met physicist Dr. Frank, I think those were the two names. And then I go, you know, you FBI guys, I said, is this all you have better to do than corner me here? All these people watching in a, in a Hardee's drive-thru? I said, why didn't you come and bash my door in like you did all those people in Colorado, like Sharona Bishop? And then Dr. He, he says, 
He goes, well, we bashed down Sharona's door because she didn't answer in time. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. The agent actually said that to you, Mike? He said that exactly. We bashed her door down because she did not answer the door in time. All right, so, uh, so how did it end? Is it true they actually took your phone or they tried to take your phone? Yes, they took it. They took they took the phone. So after I said that with Sharona, then I go, then we talked for another um, maybe 20 minutes. So we talked about my book and me being an ex-addict and I help in addicts and stuff. And I said, how come you attack companies like MyPillow, but you don't go after these machine companies and that are committing felonies? And then they go, well, we got bad news, Mike. We have to take your cell phone. I go, you're not taking my cell phone. Okay, so now we're up to like a 30-minute conversation at least. At least 30-minute conversation, which I'm not, I mean, I can, you could, it's pretty easy to get into a 30-minute conversation with Mike Lindell, I think. (laughs) But uh, it's 30 minutes into the conversation before they tell him why they're there. I go, I go, you just will arrest me. You're not going to take my cell phone. I run my companies off this. And then they go, well, we have a subpoena here, and they show me this subpoena. I said, I don't care what that says. I said, you can't take some civilian cell phone that's running five companies. I don't use a computer. Everything I have for these, my recovery network, my, my store, my pillow, Frank's speech. And he goes, well, and I said, can I call a lawyer? He goes, no. And I said, no, I need to call an attorney to know that this is legit. I said, if I don't give you this phone, are you going to arrest me? He goes, no, but we're getting that phone. And I said, so then he let me call my attorney. My attorney says, Mike, just give him your phone. So they're working on getting that back this wow. morning. Okay. Whether it's mystore.com, whether it's... <laughs> Man, I like Mike. Mike seems like one of the one of the best people you could possibly know and have in your friend group. Like He just, seem, he just seems like such a good guy. And I mean, no insult to him with this at all, but I think he is totally embellishing this story. And I think that he... I, I just... I just think he's it's a handoff of some evidence, guys. I just really do. I could be wrong on that. Um I, I could be wrong. I know that he said that um that this has something to do with Tina Peters and they're trying to intimidate him. Um no. I mean, I mean, maybe that turns out to be the case, but they have a probable cause to get his phone. And whatever that probable cause is related to. Um, I don't think it's some clever way to intimidate him. I think it's that Mike Lindell has been Mike Mike Lindell has been a lot of, around a lot of players, and not all of them have been good guys, right? And I'm sure he gets contacted by a lot of people who are trying to get him to do things, including trying to give him, um including trying to give him things that are mystis and malinfo um, things that trying to get him. There are a lot of people probably, probably to trying to trick him into making a, a mistake and getting arrested or something, you know, like there he's a target of some really bad people. And It just comes off to me, man. It just comes off to me the same way that Rudy raid came off to me. The exact same. Um, it has it has all the markers of it. And the same thing with the O'Keefe raid uh, with Project Veritas. It just feels the same. Uh, there's so many things about it. So, um, like I said, I mean no insult to him. 
Um, he's not nearly as good of an actor as Trump or Rudy is, though, or O'Keefe. <laughs> he is more entertaining, though. <laughs> And the optics are important. It's important for him to play, play that he is a victim here of this, and this is all terrible, and they're after me. It's important for him to do that. Okay, let's get to the biggest news of this show. And Sigma Phil, I am awake. I've had some coffee, although I could use some more coffee to get more awake, but I'm doing just fine, man. Okay, grab that. I want to yeah, let me hit this real quick. Let me hit this real quick. So you may remember, yeah, Mike Lindell is suing the FBI over this. He says, um, so I'll be interested to take a look at that case and see see what happens in it. Um, yeah, I'll be interested. Okay, well, Sigma Phil, if you can prove that I'm wrong, go ahead and prove it. But right now, you can't say that I'm wrong, definitively. You can say you think I'm wrong, but you can't say definitively that I'm wrong because you have no idea what the probable cause was, and neither do I. So there's no point in telling me to wake up about it. There's no point in telling me that I'm absolutely wrong. <laughs> you can't prove it. You may remember this from the affidavit. Some of this was, um, a little bit more of it was re unredacted. And what the search warrant called for was any and all surveillance records, videos, images, photographs, and or CCTV from internal cameras located on the ground floor, parentheses, basement. Okay, Sigma Phil, you believe Mike rather than the FBI. Do you, is that, is that also true? with the Cohen raid or the project Veritas raid or the, um, the Rudy Giuliani raid. How about the Mar-a-Lago raid? All of these are examples where the person who got the raid embellished details in order to push a narrative and the details they embellished weren't exactly true. Rudy Giuliani told everybody that he was under attack by the FBI. but he was never the target. James O'Keefe said that the FBI was after him and was trying to shut down Project Veritas. And he went on TV and cried about it almost. He was almost in, he almost faked tears on Sean Hannity when he knew the whole time that he was not the target. All right. So we had this uh this this piece redacted. And reading I was trying to th think about what could be under this redacted piece. And the first thing that came to mind is a skiff. But there's we've we've been told by Sean Spicer that there was a skiff at Mar-a-Lago. It's you know, most of us think that there's a skiff at Trump Tower or was. There's a skiff at Mar-a-Lago or was. And we've seen evidence from some filings that there was there was money paid, like $600,000 within the past year, to do some upgrade or maintenance 
on some type of facility that is Mar-a-Lago, and it was paid for under DHS, I want to say, if I remember right. Um, so we all have these suspicions and a belief, mostly, that there is a skiff of some sort at Mar-a-Lago, but we don't have confirmation of it. We don't have, we're not for sure that there is one. So I thought, well, does a skiff, does a skiff fit right there? And I don't think secure compartmented, what is it? Secure compartmented information facility or whatever it stands for. It doesn't quite fit, but I thought, you know what? A secure work environment might fit. And a secure work environment um, is similar to a skiff, but a skiff is, mo is what you think of when you're talking about DOD operations. And those things are handled by what is it? I keep forgetting the acronym for this, this, uh, this service, like DISA or something. It's like defense intelligence. Some, I can't remember, but they're the ones who maintain the skiffs and keep it updated and make sure that it's uh yeah. DISA. Thank you, Zias. Um, they're the ones who run the program for DOD to make sure that the skiffs are up to date as far as being secure. It's not like you install a skiff and then boom, you're good forever. Uh, they have to be constantly updated against cyber attack and against various methods of spying and um, all sorts of other things. But a SWE, a secure work environment, is what the FBI uses and has a program where they install those in various law offices and other, other uh, places. And that's what's used where lawyers and agents go in and they're able to securely work with classified information. So I thought, well, Trump being an asset, it makes more sense that he would have a secure work environment where agents and lawyers could come in there and they could, they could securely deal with information that he has gathered on, on, on his targets. So I posted on True Social and said, hey, Anybody want to check and see if and the secure work environment, parentheses SWE, fits within this block? And lo and behold, I got some responses. The first person to apply was Andy 5x5. And he gave me one that has, does this one have the guides? Yes. Looks pretty sweet. Fits pretty well. And the so let me read the sentence again. Any and all surveillance records, videos, images, photographs, and or CCTV from internal cameras located on the ground floor basement and the secure work environment, SWE, on the Mar-a-Lago property. Fits pretty neatly. Fits pretty neatly. So... I tagged SwimChick because SwimChick, last time we did something like this, uh, used her skill set to fill it in and see what fit and what didn't fit. And sure enough, she found out this fit very nicely. She typed, she ranged it, and she typed over all this text with the same font, same spacing, and typed in and the secure work environment SWE on the Mar-a-Lago product. So this looks, this looks pretty good. 
this this looks pretty good and i think this is accurate now i'm not saying that there was never a skiff there i'm not saying that what i'm thinking okay let me see if i can lay this out correctly i'm thinking that trump had a skiff I'm thinking he already had the SWE. The SWE was upgraded to a skiff while he was president. And then since he's not president, it's now become a secure work environment again. In other, it doesn't meet the qualifications to be a skiff. It's now a secure work environment, but we know that it still gets upgrades. Cause I showed on a recent show that it got $600,000 worth of upgrades in the, within the past year. So it's still being maintained. I think being maintained as a, as a secure work environment. And I think that's why, or at least partly why NARA and the FBI are saying these, these documents can't be stored there or they were stored in an unsecure way or whatever. I also am wondering, is that why the keypad was changed? Because it had been the keypad for a skiff and now it's gone back to being a keypad for the SWE? You know, they're talking about the lock on the room. Um, the FBI advised them to change the lock. So did it have a locking mechanism that was certified for a skiff and was maintained by the DISA? And then now that is over and it's become an SWE again, maintained by under the FBI's program for SWEs. And so they were like, we got to switch the lock back to one that is approved for our SWE program. Just things I'm, things I'm kind of chewing on here that I'm trying to like little pieces of the story about the Mar-a-Lago raid that I'm trying to make sense. And the fact that this is redacted here, think about what, what else could it be? Why would it be redacted what areas they wanted surveillance records from, right? Like, are they going to redact and Melania's closet or and Trump's closet full of sporting equipment or and the patio surveillance cameras and the 45 office, we've already know there's a 45 office there and the parking area, like what other area, why would they redact an area of the property? Can you think of any area of the property where they would sit, we, they would decide, yeah, we got to redact this. I can't, I can't, I can't, uh, I, it's, there's a reason why it's re, <laughs> Zayas says Baron's PlayStation gaming room. <laughs> Baron's Fortnite setup. Yeah. Yeah. Like what, what other play, whatever it's redacted here, it's redacted for a reason. And a skiff or a SWE is what makes the most sense to me that it would be redacted because it's, it's classified or it's protected in some way. I, I can't, I can't, I can't think of a, 
another area where they would redact it. They would redact this. That was, that was a great suggestion. So anyway, shout out to Swim Check. Uh, Swim Chick did a great job. And also Andy 5x5 did a great job. Y'all both came, two different people were like, yeah, this fits. Um, so, all right, let's get to me getting something wrong. So, let me skip this order and this one. Is it this one? Yeah, it's this one. All right. So I put, I, I was really gunning for Barbara S. Jones. Really thought it would be her, but Judge Cannon issued this order yesterday. Following the provisions of the notice of the opportunity to be heard is required by Rule 53B, et cetera, et cetera. Upon review of the party special master proposals, it is hereby ordered in a judge that one, pursuant to Rule 53, the Honorable Raymond J. Deary, Senior United States District Judge for the Eastern District of New York is appointed special master. Two, the special master shall review all the materials seized during the August 8th. Now, I like this, all the materials. Well, actually, before I read this next part, let me just talk about getting this wrong. <laughs> um, I thought it would be Barbara S. Jones because... She's got a work history with the band, with Rudy, with Donald Trump, working out at SDNY at the same time they were taking down the organized crime um, in New York. Her cases, all three of the cases where she's been a special master recently that are cited in Judge Cannon's order for a special master, the Cohen case, the Rudy G case, and the Project Veritas cases are all cited by Judge Cannon in her order for a special master. And since she was one of the candidates, I thought, hey, it's going to be her. Makes all the sense in the world. And even better that the DOJ proposed her because it just shows that this is not DOJ going after Trump. So and Bar so Bar Barbara's read in on this. So I really thought that it was going to be Barbara S. Jones, and as y'all all know. But I was wrong. Judge Cannon decided to go with Trump's pick. And it's not a bad pick. Uh, Jamin, Raymond J. Deary. This was Trump's top choice. And if you go back to his career before he was a judge, before he was appointed by Ronald Reagan, by the way, he worked in private practice in New York City. And then he worked for the U.S. Attorney's Office in the Eastern District of New York in the 70s. Before and then, and look at where he worked while he was there. Chief General Crimes Division. And then from 74 to 76, he was Chief of the Criminal Division. Or no, 76 to 77, Chief of the Criminal Division. Then he became Executive Assistant to U.S. US Attorney. He went back into private practice for a few years before being Chief Assistant U.S. Attorney for the Eastern District of New York from 80 to 82. And then he became the U.S. Attorney for the Eastern District of New York from 82 to 86. So, at the same time that Trump and his organization were informing on organized crime in New York, this guy was in New York as a U.S. Attorney in the EDNY. And I think it's a very good bet that he is fully aware 
and has worked with Trump before. I bet he worked with Trump to help bust this organized crime. And I, not a bad pick. I understand why Trump put him forth. My nose is getting itchy because y'all are thinking about me or something. Um, yeah. I'm kind of bummed that it's not Barbara S. Jones because I think that would have been fun. I, You know, one reason I was thinking it'd be Barbara S. Jones is that I thought the judge would do something for DOJ like that because it would feed the narrative of DOJ bad, FBI bad, they're after Trump, they're so crooked, and now they got Barbara S. Jones' special master. She gave to Democrats, oh no, blah, 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 blah. You know, I kind of thought that that would kind of feed that narrative of corruption. And so, and then you, we would be sitting here going, actually, no, it's not a bad choice. It's great. But all good. Raymond J. Deary was chosen. And Raymond is also known for, and this is what I've seen Conservative Incorporated getting mad about. Uh, right here, he was appointed to the FISA Intelligence surveillance court for a seven-year term by justice john roberts oh no that must mean he's terrible and corrupt and while he was there he approved the fourth fisa warrant on carter page which was later uh deemed illegal so that must mean he's corrupt both of those are bad takes it does not mean he's corrupt the fact that he was appointed to fisa and the his approval of the fourth fisa on Carter Page was based upon what he was given by the by the FBI agents who lied to him about Carter Page and hid evidence from him. So that's not that's not on Deary that he was given. He was he was given information that was wrong. Uh, so. And I was also thinking that, you know, he's going to get an opportunity to look at these materials in Mar-a-Lago. And if they have to do with Crossfire Hurricane, he's going to be familiar with a lot of them. I don't think it causes a conflict of interest. I'm kind of wondering if it does. But I don't think so. Um, he, This is his letter acknowledging that he's accepting this task. And he writes in here, I have familiarized myself with the issues involved in this case. And as a result of my knowledge of the case... I can attest and affirm that I know of no grounds for disqualification. So looking forward to what he finds, Dr. Zayas is making a uh, really good point that Rudy was equal at time. Rudy was a U.S. attorney from 82 to 86 in the district next door at SDNY. At the same time, this guy was at EDNY in the Eastern District. So they absolutely worked together and... Uh, I'm happy about this, even though Barbara S. Jones isn't the pick and I got it wrong. Oh, well. My batting average can't be, I can't bat a thousand. So Ultra MAGA Medium shared this with me, um, also pointing out that this guy was an EDNY at the same time Trump was busting the mob. You can bet they worked together. Okay, let's get back to this ruling because there's more to it than just that order for the special master. Let me zoom in for y'all a little bit. This is kind of zoomed out. 
Or actually, should I just hit this? There we go. There we go. Now, other thing that stands out to me. The special master shall review all of the material seized during the August 8th, 2022 execution of a court-authorized search warrant. That's not what DOJ wanted. DOJ would much would much prefer that he review only the items that the filter team had that they marked as possibly attorney-client privileged. Instead, this says he shall review all of the material seized during the raid. So that's everything. The specific duties of the special master are as follows and will include all powers necessary to carry out these duties. A, verifying that the property identified in the detailed property inventory represents the full and accurate extent of the property seized. Conducting a privilege review of the seized materials and making recommendations to the court as to any privilege disputes between the parties. Including any formal assertions of executive privilege. Identifying personal items, documents, and presidential records in the seized materials and making recommendations to the court as to any categorization disputes between the parties. Evaluating claims for return of property under Rule 41G. Any additional duties assigned to the special master by the court pursuant to subsequent orders upon notice of the parties and an opportunity to be heard with regard to such additional duties. So she even put a line in here that says, and... And I might give him more duties than what I've said here. So she, Judge Cannon is playing hardball. Judge Cannon is saying, look, I'm going to have him look at everything, including claims of executive privilege, including privilege, uh, attorney-client privilege items, including the classified stuff, including the presidential records, including personal items, all of the seized stuff. And if I decide to, I'll give him more duties than this. And if I decide to do that, I'll let you know. In categorizing seized materials as personal items, documents, or presidential records, the special master may consult the National Archives and Records Administration. The special master will have full authority set forth in Rule 53C of the Federal Rules of Civil Procedure. In reviewing the seized materials, special master will follow a precise workflow. For seized materials identified by a privilege review team as potentially privileged, the privilege review team shall provide copies of the potentially privileged documents to plaintiff's counsel. Plaintiff's counsel shall receive the potentially privileged items or documents and provide special master a privileged log stating for each item whether plaintiff claims the document is privileged and if so, on what basis. The special master shall provide the privilege log to the privilege review team and solicit their position on each document. If the privilege review team agrees with plaintiff's position, the, the subject document shall be handled in accordance with the party's agreement. Failure to object to a report and recommendation within five calendar days shall result in a waiver of that objection. For seized materials excluding materials identified by the privilege review team. Remember, DOJ only wanted him to look at privilege, privilege stuff. The government shall do as follows. Provide to plaintiff counsel's plaintiff's counsel copies of documents not marked classified make available to inspection by plaintiff's counsel with controlled access conditions, including, um, including necessary clearance requirements and under the supervision of the special master, the document, the documents marked as classified and the papers attached to such documents 
and make available for inspection by plaintiff's counsel non-documentary items. So boom, he gets to look at non-classified and the documents marked as classified. Plaintiff's counsel shall review the materials, allocate each of them to one of four mutually exclusive categories listed below. And provide a special the special master a log stating for each the item or document the, the particular category claimed and on what basis. Personal items and documents not claimed to be privileged. Personal documents claimed to be privileged. Presidential records not claimed to be privileged and presidential records claimed to be privileged. So really two categories and within each one, privileged or not privileged. Special master shall provide the information contained in the log to the government, either to the investigative team or the privilege review team as appropriate, and solicit the government's position on each. If the government agrees with plaintiff's position, the subject item or document shall be handled in accordance with the agreement. If the government disagrees with the plaintiff's position, the dispute shall go to the special master. So, special master is going to take a document. He's going to be like, okay, plaintiff, what do you say about this? Plaintiff's going to be like, yeah, that's privileged. DOJ, what do you say about this? No, it's not privileged. And then the special master makes a decision whether or not it's privileged. If the parties agree, he'll say, all right, there we go. It's returned or it's given to whoever, whichever party it's supposed to go to, he gives it to him. The special master and all the parties shall prioritize as a matter of timing the documents marked as classified. So those are going to be dealt with first. And the special master shall submit interim reports and recommendations as appropriate. Upon receipt and resolution of any interim reports and recommendations, the court shall consider prompt adjustment. Within 10 calendar days following the date of this order, the special master shall consult with counsel for the parties and provide the court with a scheduled pl scheduling plan, setting forth the procedure and timeline, including the party's deadlines. As required by Rule 53B, the court directs the special master to proceed with all reasonable diligence and conclude his review and classifications by November 30th. So, DOJ wanted him to finish by October 17th. No. Donald Trump and, and his team wanted the special master to have a window to get, they went all the way to the uh, first or second week of December. Judge says, get it done by November 30th. So that's after the midterm election. So honestly, that's pretty good because that gives Donald Trump and MAGA the ability to keep pointing attention to this as we build up to the midterms and keep saying, look what they're doing. They raided my beautiful home, Mar-a-Lago, the winter white house. We got to do something about the FBI. We got to do something about this FBI, by this DOJ. We got all these whistleblowers. We need to vote in MAGA candidates this November so that they can get this DOJ under control, so they can stop the weaponization of DOJ. All that, I mean, all those narratives are going to still be active because this isn't the special master is not going to be done until November 30th, or at least they have until November 30th anyway. All right, the special master needs to file all these things on the docket. 
along with any additional information, any potential privilege, confidential or national security material that is submitted shall be filed under seal. That'll be interesting. It'll be on the docket. It'll be under seal. But if we start seeing filings like this, that'll be interesting because you know, this stuff is marked classified. So that'll be interesting to see if any of that appears. Special master shall make ex parte reports. To, that means in private reports to the court on an ongoing basis concerning the progress of resolving issues. Parties can file objections. Special master shall have access to individuals, information, documents, and materials rele relevant to the orders of the court that are required for the performance of the special master's duties. At a minimum, the government shall make available to the special master the seized materials, the search warrant executed in this matter, and the redacted public versions of the underlying application materials for the search warrant. Plaintiffs shall bear 100% of the professional fees and expenses of the special master and any professions, professional support staff and expert consultants. So Trump lost on that. Trump wanted it to be a split cost where DOJ and him 50-50 the expense of the special master, but the judge said, no, you want this. So you got to pay for it. If the special master determines that the efficient administration of the special master's duties requires the assistance of additional professional support staff or expert consultants, the special master may submit a work proposal for those as an agent and officer of the court, the special master and those working at the special master's direction shall enjoy the same protections from being compelled to give testimony and from liability for damages as enjoyed by the federal judicial adjuncts perform similar functions. Special master shall be discharged or replaced only upon order of this court. The parties and their agents and employees shall faithfully observe the requirements of this order. Blah, blah, blah. Consistent with and in furtherance of this order, the court will separately enter a judicial protective order that sets forth restrictions on disclosure for both the special master and the parties. Done and ordered, Eileen M. Cannon. So, big, big win for Trump. Big win for Trump. The judge also gave Trump another win, or at least gave DOJ a loss by denying their motion to stay, which was, you know, the judge has frozen these seized materials in place and said, you can't do anything with this stuff until the special master is, does their work. And DOJ is like, no, how about special master only looks at the privileged stuff, but our classified review and those things, how about you lift that order so that the intelligence community and our investigative team can keep working on that stuff because we got really important investigations to do right now. And we really need to look at this stuff. And the judge said, no, no. I don't need to read the relevant background to you. Y'all are aware. Let me scroll to the meat of this. Let me scrolling, scrolling, scroll. I'm I'm kind of scanning some of the cases to see if they fight they cite any interesting cases. Um, yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. 
It cites the Michael Cohen case and the Rudy Giuliani case right here. And the, the okay, where does this note for? This is number four. Okay, let me read this. Again, the September 5th order imposes a temporary restraint on certain review. That's about the stay where she she froze everything. It imposes a temporary restraint on certain review and use of seized materials in natural conjunction with the special master process only for a period of the time required to resolve any categorization disputes and rule on, on plaintiff's 41G request. This restriction is not out of step with the logical approach approved and used for special master review in other cases, often with the consent of the government, and it is warranted here to reinforce the value of the special master, to protect against unwarranted disclosure and use of potentially privileged and personal material pending completion of the review process and to ensure public trust. Footnote number four. In general, when courts appoint a special master to review seized materials for potential claims of privilege, the government naturally and often voluntarily is temporarily prevented from further review and use of the subject materials. And then she goes on to cite several cases where a special master was used, one of them in 95, one of them in 2002. Another one in June of 2022. And then she cites right here, the Project Veritas raid. In that case, the government voluntarily paused its extraction and review of seized materials pending consideration of an appointment of special master. And then she cites the Michael Cohen raid. And then she cites the Rudy Giuliani raid. And her comment is noting that the government voluntarily did not begin review of seized materials pending consideration of appointment special master. So again, the templates, the precedent, the templates I've been pointing out about that these cases set fed into Judge Cannon's order for a special master, and they fed into what responsibilities a special master has, and they informed her on the decision of how she is ordering DOJ to handle or not handle these seized materials. Precedents. That's what this is all about. Well, not all about, but it's a big point. It's a big part of it. So she denied their motion to stay and they can't proceed for now. Okay. See, I got all those links there. All right. Last thing on this, let me play this short clip because this tells you a lot. Make sure it's unmuted. Yeah, it's unmuted. Uh, Alina, are the medical records, the tax records, attorney-client privilege records, I know the passports have been returned. Have they been returned, number one? Number two, the FBI did ask that Mar-a-Lago turn off their security cameras. You did not turn them off. Will you be releasing those videos? We will always cooperate, Sean. We always have. We always will. Every investigation, no, I mean, I mean, as you stated like, a couple nights Somebody ago. like me, I'll take them. I'd love to have them. Yeah. Hello. I'm the guy working in the press. You here. know what? You know, we're real. <laughs> Sean, you'll have me on and I'll talk about them, but I don't know if we'll release them. The truth is, unlike some of these federal agencies, we don't leak. We follow the rules. And I'm actually really proud of the Trump team today. It was a major win. We won on all counts. And, and I think it's important. It, it relays faith. And at the end of the day, they delayed it till November 30th. So their plans of messing around with the election yet again with midterms, Got a little screwed up today. Let me, let Sorry me about that, guys. Though. But you shouldn't have been so far reaching. 
Yeah. Is there anything that prohibits you from releasing those videotapes? You know why we wouldn't, honestly, Sean? Because the president cares too much about the agents and the enforcement that were just doing their job. And we you have can, been told that their lives their have been put at risk. You, we, we, we can pixel yeah, well, out their maybe, faces. Maybe then. We can, maybe then. You know, I, this isn't my we case. We do that to Greg Jarrett occasionally. Right you, He's having a bad hair day. We'll just, you know, <laughs> pixel it out. But same with me. Uh, all right. Thank you both. She she didn't really want to touch that question. Um, she she didn't really want to give a definitive answer, right? Like she, I, I don't think she she wanted that question. Um, I I I think um, I can't I can't really decide about this one. Uh, I do think it's a good sign. Um, I do believe her that Trump doesn't want to injure these age agents or, you know, cause these agents to get harassed or whatever by releasing this footage because they're just doing the work they were ordered to do. Um, Not sure about this one. I I never. I guess I. I'm not. I, I'm not. I don't know if I ever really expected them to release the footage. Um. And I can. I can think. I kind of think that it would be a bad idea to do it, because who is it that wants this footage more? Is it us, just so we can react to it and say, "Ooh, FBI bad," or is who would benefit? us or is it the corrupt media who would take this footage and clip it and replay it over and over again see i think i think trump and them saying that maybe they would release release the footage was actually a troll of the mainstream media because the mainstream media doesn't have any footage so it's like they're saying, we have footage, you don't. And then they were saying like, yeah, we're going to release it. And the MSM is like, oh, good. We can get this footage from Mar-a-Lago and then we can use it and play it over and over again for our audience, reinforcing the idea that Trump is bad and the FBI went after him. But I don't think they should release it because it would be used against them. See what I'm saying? The MSM would use it against Trump and then they would replay it over and over again. I, I think that this whole thing about them releasing the footage was always a troll of the MSM who does not have any because they got effed. They got totally screwed over here because there were no leaks. They didn't know Trump was being raided. The FBI was there for nine freaking hours and no MSM outlet had any idea. Nobody knew until Trump told us, which tells you just about everything about this raid. If, if this was, if this, if this Mar-a-Lago raid was about getting Trump, the mainstream media would have known about it. Just like if 
the FBI raid of Mike Lindell or Rudy Giuliani or any of the other people that got raided last week with the, or got served last week with subpoenas or search warrants. If this was about big, bad FBI deep state going after going after them, there would have been leaks to the media so that it was recorded and would be played over and over again by the mainstream media. So, okay. We have news in the Danchenko case, and we also have um, some swamp draining, a short, small bit of swamp draining news and some, um, uh, there's another piece with some FBI corruption news. There's a FBI, um, former FBI guy who, uh, is being investigated and I want to get to that news next, but I got to admit the coffee is catching up to me and I need a bathroom break so I can do it. Let me grab a little bit of, um, intermission music. We will take just a few minutes of information or <laughs> information, a few minutes of, uh, intermission. Let me, uh, set this up. Short coffee break. That's not the music I want. That's not the music I want. That's how we start the show. Here we go. No, that one's too dark. That one's too dark. Hold on just a moment. Let me go. There we go. That's better. All right. Intermission. Be back in about three to five minutes.
Alright, welcome back, guys. Thank y'all for being here. Hope you have a great Friday. Hope you're enjoying the show. Um, if you are enjoying the show and you're enjoying the content I make, please share it. The um, One of the best places to go for shareable clips or the best place to go. Uh, if I have a clips, I have clip channel on rumble where I upload clips from the show. Uh, you can just search just human clips, or you can go to my link tree and you'll find the link for it. And I take segments from the show. Every show I take a few segments, sometimes long ones, sometimes short ones. And, uh, you can share those with people, try and get them interested. It's hard to get someone interested in watching a two hour show. Um, and trying to get you know trying to get someone to get get into it you know it's it's a big commitment to listen to a two-hour show but you know share a five to ten minute clip with them and if they like it maybe they'll decide to watch the whole show whole show um besides that if you want to do more if you just want to buy me a cup of coffee you can go to buymeacupofcoffee.com slash just human and the best way to support the show is a, subs a paid subscription to justhuman.substack.com that's all that's where i put my articles and I don't write that many, but when I do, they're they're pretty in depth. They can they contain a lot of research, and uh, that's also where I put the audio version of this show. If you like watching it, but you really just want to listen while you work out or you do your job or uh, you mow the lawn or whatever it is, what you're doing, you want it as a podcast. Justhuman.substack.com. I upload every every time I do a show, I rip the audio from it. And I put it on my Substack as a podcast. And you can either listen to it with the, the Substack app, or you can set it up to feed the, sub, the, the podcast to your favorite player. It works in Apple Podcast. At least for now, they haven't banned me on there. Um, and it works on other podcast players. So if you're interested in getting this as a podcast, that's the place to do it. Burner8. Burner8 on Rumble says they want to buy me a cigar. Yo. Please, I've got, I've got one cigar right now. I could use more. <laughs> you can, you can buy me a cup. You can buy me a cup of coffee, um, and you can leave a note on there that says, "Use this for cigar." <laughs> and at one time, someone I'm trying to remember who it was, uh, they bought me a couple cups of coffee, and they said, "Use this on the, your kids. Buy your kids ice cream or something like that." And uh, that's what I did. I, I did that, so it was good. I, I really appreciate y'all, and uh, thank you for supporting the show. Also, if you'd like an item, I do have a merch store, Red White and Bourbon, um, Red White and Bourbon Forty Five dot com. The link for it is in the show description, and uh, that's the mug I'm drinking out of is one of my is one of my mugs, and it's got my quote on there: "Understanding is greater than reacting," and uh, that is. That is how we approach resetting home. Thank you very much. Yeah, it was you. Thank you very much. Uh, understanding is greater, greater. Understanding is greater than reacting. We've seen a lot of examples recently uh, where people or the news media cause people to react, and and uh, they use emotional language to get you to react, so that you don't understand. And so that you, um, so that you, instead of understanding, you react to it and you get emotional and you completely miss 
the message or the significance of the story. And we see that happen all the time. And one of the re most recent examples was they used that fake news story about Durham winding down that the New York Times put out that's totally BS. Um, and I went over that on the last show. Uh, and I want to point out to you guys that the news of Durham winding up, winding down, concluding another grand jury, that news broke on the exact same day of a two-year delta for this drop. Hold the line, riders. Justice is coming. I'm sure it's just a coincidence. I'm sure it's just a coincidence. I probably should have saved that, but I already walked up into it. So went ahead. I was I was going to share that for share that for save that for another bit of news. I'm going to share first. We're going to go to Danchenko though. Uh, who's trying to send me cigars? Who's trying to send me cigars? I saw a post from someone saying they've been trying to send me cigars. Where'd that go? Where'd that go? I missed it. Where did it go? Cindy Anon, five by five. Thank you for the cigar money. Thank you very much. Really appreciate it. I will go buy cigars. There's that new cigar store in town. All right, folks. Thank you for watching on all the places that you watch. Foxhole, DLive, Twitch, Telegram, and and Rumble. Really appreciate it. Let's let's get to this. I got about got about 40, 45 minutes left of the show before I absolutely have to go. May remember we found out on Wednesday, big big news broke that Denchenko was a paid asset. Well, it seems that Grassley knew that this whole time. Oh, let me make sure I get the audio up. Hold up. There you go. This one I'm going to expect an answer on. That's still too low. Let me amplify it here with this app or this extension this one i'm going to expect an answer on do fbi policies just the policies allow it to pay an outside investigator for work another source is also pay paying him for as well want me to repeat it do fbi policies allow it to pay an outside investigator for work that another source is also paying that uh, investigator for? I don't know for sure as I sit here. I, possibly is my answer, but I'll get you a precise answer. In writing? Sure. Okay. This I don't know if he ever got that answer in writing. If anybody finds a document that says he, he got that answer, I would be interested in it. You can link it to me. But Grassley knew. Grassley knew that Danchenko was being paid by Orbis Business Intelligence at the same, which is Christopher Steele, at the same time it was being paid by the FBI as an informant. And that's why he asked Comey that question. That's what I'm going to expect an answer on. 
do FBI policies, just the policies, allow it to pay an outside investigator for work another source is also pay paying him for as well? Want me to repeat it? Do FBI policies allow it to pay an outside investigator for work that another source is also paying that uh, investigator for? I don't know for sure as I sit here. I, possibly is my answer, but I'll get you a precise answer. In writing? Sure. Okay. Very interesting. Very interesting that Grassley was aware of that back then. Let me grab a couple takes about the news that Danchenko was paid. Now, McCabe's Porsche on Blocks points out, here's what's really bad about Danchenko being hired by the FBI as a CHS. All it took was the late January 2017 interview, which we've seen and was pure garbage. He didn't provide something profound in another interview. They were all after, after they signed him up. That's why we never got to see I uh, never got to see the March and May interviews the IG mentioned or knew about the later ones in summer or fall of 2017 that Durham has now exposed, which leaves more questions. He was still a CHS on the books for almost three years following the last interview Durham indicted him on. How many more times did he lie in 2018 to 2020? And did anyone direct him to lie at, at a later point? Now, these are great questions, but... Like I keep saying, some of these guys who have been researching Spygate for so long are so clouded in their thinking. They expect that these interviews that have been released to us would contain the information that Danchenko informed on. Why, why would we have in our hands a document detailing an interview with a confidential human source right now. Why, why, would, why would they give us a document that shows who Danchenko informed on? Wouldn't that also alert their targets as to who Danchenko informed on? If the people Danchenko informed on are targets of an investigation, why would the FBI release those documents and let those targets know that Danchenko had informed on them? It would make no sense to do it. So, duh, we haven't seen any interviews indicate any of that to us. Jeff Carlson, not to be lost in this, is the fact that Comey told Congress and the world that there was an open investigation into the Trump campaign, not President Trump. Not President Trump. The Trump campaign. The Trump campaign. It was never about getting Trump. Only after Denchenko was locked up, SCHS. So the flurry of actions by Comey tell the story. 
Kingmaker says the FBI made a devil's bargain with Danchenko. And who knows who else? We'll pay you, keep you hidden and out of reach of Congress. And in turn, you will keep your mouth shut. Is that what happened? I just played for you a clip that revealed Grassley was aware. So obviously, paying Danchenko as a confidential human source did not hide him out of reach of Congress. Did it? These two things don't fit. It can't be that he was paid to be a CHS in order to hide him away when Grassley knew at the time he conducted this interview with Comey or this hearing with Comey. And Durham knew and Durham indicted him. Seems more likely to me that the reason they paid him as an informant was so that he would inform on the people he was connected to. The problem for Danchenko is that while he was an informant, he also lied to the FBI. And so... That's where he caught an indictment from Durham. I'm telling you guys, that news, that news that Danchenko was a paid informant has every single person, every bad actor that Danchenko had any communication with from 2017 to 2020 freaking the F out. All of the people he had emails and phone calls with and text messages and meetings with are freaking out this week, trying to figure out if Danchenko told the FBI what they talked about, if Danchenko gave them the emails, if Danchenko was surveilled at the point. You know, someone brought up a point to me that, no, he's this won't work like this because Danchenko's being charged with lying to the FBI so that damages him as a CHS. That damages his credibility because he's been being charged with lying to the FBI. So that's a mark against him. Right. Okay. Okay. I can understand that point. The difference is if Danchenko was surveilled, which he probably was, if Danchenko is turning over emails and phone calls and actual physical evidence as part of him informing, well, how are you going to argue against those? Danchenko's words in an interview, yeah, his 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 words his words in an interview, yeah, it could go to to the question of his credibility, considering that he's been caught lying to the FBI before. But the text are the text, the emails are the emails, the phone call records are the phone calls, and let's get to that news right now. We're in the pretrial phase, of course, and there's some argument about 
what should be allowed and what should not be allowed. There's these motions in limine, the limiting motions. And defendant Igor Danchenko, by and through his counsel this week, respectfully submitted his objections to the special counsel's proposed trial exhibit. So what's here in these pages are what John Durham has proposed that he wants to use at trial. Okay. And this is Danchenko's team filing a motion to say, no, I don't want these things admitted at trial. And this is a long list. As you can see on the side, it's about 12 pages, eh, 11 pages of things that he does not want Durham to be able to present. The most spicy ones seem to be right here at the top. The, 20, the January interview of Danchenko, January 24th, the one that McCabe's Porsche on Block just said was garbage. Durham wants to use it at trial as evidence. Well, I guess it's not garbage then, huh? If it was garbage, why is Durham wanting to use it at trial? Contact report from May 18th. Another contact report from October 24th. Another one from November 2nd. These are all 2017. And then the really spicy ones, link chat message. Link is the LYNC. That is the FBI's internal communication system where agents can text each other. And Durham wants to use text messages from agent Amy Anderson, agent Brian Auten, agent Kevin Helson, and agent Brittany Herzog. That's huge. Am Shade, or yeah, Am Shade over on Rumble. Thank you very much for the Rumble rant. They say, thank you for being the most sober-minded, greatest analyzer I have ever listened to. It is so refreshing. Well, I'm just human, and I'm definitely not the, I don't think I'm the most sober-minded or greatest analyzer out there, but thank you very much. I really appreciate that. Very nice. Thank you. Um, this is big news because we've been getting told by a bunch of black pillars for a long time that Durham is a cover-up. Durham's a cover-up. He's just going to come in there and he's going to protect all the crooked FBI agents and they're all going to get away with it. Yeah. No, that's the wrong, that's the wrong one. Where is the meme that was made? Here it is. There we go. Yeah, we've been getting told that Durham's a cover-up operation. He's going to protect the FBI. He's not going to expose their crimes. He hasn't indicted any of them. He's not even looking at them. Well, if Durham is a cover-up, why do we keep learning new stuff? If Durham is a cover-up, how come we keep finding out about FBI agents doing things they shouldn't have done? And why do we keep learning about how connected the FBI is to Danchenko? 
And how come we keep learning all of this new information about Fusion GPS and Perkins Coie and the Hillary Clinton campaign and Orbis and Christopher Steele and on and on and on and on. You may recall in the Sussman trial, there were some FBI agents who testified. And you may remember that those F some of those FBI agents who testified admitted on the stand that they were currently under investigation by either Durham or the IG. If Durham was a cover-up, then why was that even a thing? Now, I don't know, none of us know exactly what these text messages are going to be from these FBI agents. It could be that these specific agents didn't do anything wrong and these texts aren't going to go to any sort of criminality or um, unethical behavior or anything like that that they engaged in. That's possible. It's also possible that these text messages are going to reveal some impropriety that these agents engaged in. And if they're allowed at court, which Danchenko's ex objection is physical exhibit not provided. But if they're allowed, we may find out some more impropriety, some more wrongdoing by FBI agents during the course of this trial. And I said on um, that show I was on last night, the EQ chamber with Johnny and Diddy and Cagdrogo and Patriot AU, I said that I was... The more I'm looking at Danchenko, I'm really thinking that just like with the Sussman trial, Durham used that trial and his filings to detail and tell the story of the Clinton campaign's involvement and Perkins Coie and Fusion GPS's involvement in the hoax, the Alphagate hoax. And the whole, we're watching that trial and we're reading the filings and we're thinking, why isn't Jaffe indicted? Why isn't Mark Elias indicted. Why aren't all these other players indicted that we're learning about here? This is seems to be this whole trial seems to be less about Sussman and more about all these other people. I have a feeling that something similar is going to happen with this trial. And Durham is going to use this this trial of Danchenko, this drunk Russian lawyer who has worked for both sides. He's been an agent of Russia. He's been an agent of the FBI. Well, a confidential human source of the agent of the FBI. He's been an asset of Orbis Business Intelligence, Christopher Steele. He's been, a, he's been an asset of the Brookings Institution. I think Durham's going to use this trial to detail for us and point towards Christopher Steele, the Brookings Institution, Fiona Hill, and possibly point towards the FBI. Because the two spy warrants, the two FISA warrants on Carter Page, the last two were deemed illegal. And they were at least partially based on information provided by Danchenko. If I remember correctly. So we'll see if, I, I think it's a good bet that Durham's probably going to use this trial to point towards how that developed.
Now, other things he wants to keep out, these company reports, what's referred to as the company reports, that's the steel reports, the steel dossier. So here we have six pieces of the steel dossier, fabrications, complete BS. Got some emails, interview of Danchenko, excerpt from January 24th, that's FBI interview, recording from March 16th. Remember, I can't remember exactly if that was one of the, that may, is that one of the interviews where, uh, that might be one of the interviews where they recorded Danchenko without his knowledge. I'd have to go back and look which ones it was. Um, we got some more recordings and transcripts, Google records. He wants to introduce e a bunch of emails. And lots of them, lots of emails. And you see these, some of these say translation. So I'm guessing some of these are him talking in Russian to the, uh, the Russian journalist he was in communication to possibly to other Russians. Phone call records. Sprint. These are from 2016. So these aren't the records of his supposed phone call with Sergey Million that he lied about. These are some other phone call records. But these phone calls here, I believe, are the Sergey Million phone calls that aren't actually Sergey Million phone calls. And remember, I've been pointing out that neither Danchenko or Durham says that the anonymous phone call he got didn't happen. They're not challenging that that phone call happened. But Danchenko has been charged with lying to the FBI about who he thought was on that phone call. And in order to, in, in order to prove that lie, at that that was a lie, Durham's going to have to prove who was on that Durham that Danchenko knew who he was talking to, right? So we're going to find out who it was that was on that phone call. My top three guesses are either Chuck Dolan, Fiona Hill, or Christopher Steele. And then we have AT&T phone call records. Verizon phone call records, Facebook records, entries into Facebook going into 2016 and 2017, K Global, K Global records. K Global is Chuck Dolan's outfit. Oh, hey, JC Bird. Thank you for being so supportive, man. JC Bird is one of the nicest people in this community. Y'all know that? He leaves almost every single thing I put out. He leaves a kind comment and I notice it, JC bird. I really appreciate it, man. I hope you have a blessed day and a blessed weekend. These, this is Chuck Dolan right here. K global. And these are 2016 emails between Danchenko and K global, I believe, which means between Danchenko and probably Chuck Dolan. Or Charles Dolan. 
Then we have records from the Marriott Ritz where they made up the lies about uh, what about Trump visiting over there and the P tape and all that BS. Inside the Kremlin contact sheet, hmm. Sidar Global email. I don't, I remember that name, but I can't remember exactly who it is that's behind Sidar. I can't remember. Uh, Perkins Cooey. Hello. Perkins Cooey consulting, consulting agreement and Perkins Cooey constant, uh, legal representation letter. Hello. Greg Hartley email. Not sure about who that is. Public records from Yahoo, Mother Jones, BuzzFeed, Politico. Amtrak records. So a trip. A trip that Danchenko took, it looks like. Border Patrol records for Sergey Million travel. So they're probably going to prove, maybe this is Sergey Million's Amtrak. They're going to prove Sergey Million wasn't probably wasn't where Danchenko says he was in order for them to meet when he lied about them meeting. Danchenko's LinkedIn information, summary witness, email translations, Chuck Dolan call. Hey, summary of a Danchenko Dolan call. Microsoft records for Hotmail. Ha. He used Hotmail. So, these are the things that Danchenko is saying, please, Mr. Durham, I don't want you to introduce any of this stuff at trial. I wouldn't be surprised if some of it, you know, the judge says, yeah, we're not going to allow this right here. But um, I bet a lot of it gets in. Let me see if there's actually been another filing this morning. Let's go ahead and check. Nope. Not, not yet. So I saw a question in chat. Somebody was asking if uh, who's representing. I think someone said something like who is uh, Igor Danchenko's attorneys or whatever. Igor Danchenko's attorneys right here are the same people who represented Hillary Clinton in the Sussman trial. philosophy. <laughs> yeah, I got it. Uh, I don't have a Hotmail account, but um, I think my wife has a Hotmail email account she still uses. <laughs> so yeah, Danchenko's attorneys are um, expensive, and they are the same attorneys who filed to intervene in the Sussman case on behalf of Hillary Clinton. Uh, meanwhile, Hillary Clinton says she's never had any contact with Danchenko and, uh, they have nothing to do with one another, but they share the same attorneys this year. Now that doesn't always mean that there's a connection. I mean, attorneys, you know, a job of an attorney is to represent people, but kind of interesting. Um, all right. I have a bunch of other stuff on Danchenko, but I want to, I want to move on and show y'all something. Uh, let's get to some uh, little bit of corruption news, a little bit of swamp the drain 
Swamp the drain. <laughs> drain the swamp. Drain the swamp. This news broke yesterday. Exclusive former top FBI official involved in Trump-Russia investigation is under scrutiny by federal prosecutors for his own ties to Russia. A former high-level FBI agent who was involved in the investigation into Trump campaign's BS contacts. Thank you, Business Insider, for not telling the actual, not being accurate. 20, Russia, blah, 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 Russia's Spygate hoax. Last year, according to internal court documents obtained by Insider, U.S. attorneys secretly convened a grand jury that examined the conduct of Charles McGonagall, the former head of counterintelligence at the FBI field office in New York City. The Justice Department declined to comment on what the grand jury was investigating or whether it remained ongoing. So, we don't know if this grand jury is done yet. And we don't know what it was about. Nothing. But a witness subpoena obtained by Insider. I wonder who leaked this Insider. Remember, the, the leaks are real. The leaks are real, but the news is fake. A witness subpoena in, obtained by Insider seems to indicate that the government, in part, was looking into McDonald's business dealings with Oleg Deris Pasca the billionaire Russian oligarch who was at the center of allegations that Russia colluded with the Trump campaign. Oleg Deripaska. Well, do you guys remember? Nineteenth of October, twenty twenty-one. FBI raids fifteen million dollar DC mansion and New York homes linked to Russian oligarch and Putin ally. Oleg Deripaska. In connection with U.S. sanctions, billionaire tycoon has ties to Paul Manafort and ex-MI6 agent Christopher Steele. Homes linked to him were raided, including homes in New York and Washington, were searched by the FBI on Monday, October uh, last year. The action was court-ordered. A source told Daily Mail that Deripaska hasn't been back to the U.S. since 2017 and had no intention of returning after the Treasury Department had hit him with sanctions. Deripaska's spokesman told Russian outlet Commerçant that searches were underway at his relatives' homes in New York and Washington. They said Deripaska doesn't own the homes, but the searches are tied to U.S. sanctions. A spokesperson for the Southern District of New York declined to comment. It's not clear whether... It would be the SDNY of New York, but they are known for prosecuting some of the most high-profile cases in the country, including the ongoing federal probe of Rudy Giuliani's ties to Ukraine. Remember, that was the fake raid. I mean, it was a raid, but that was a handoff of evidence. Interesting that Rudy Giuliani gets mentioned here because they can't help the fake news media. The fake news media keeps trying to tie these people together as though they're they're connected in a nefarious way when Rudy Giuliani is actually providing evidence and is informing on these people. Wouldn't it be interesting if part of the evidence Rudy Giuliani handed over in April of 2021 was evidence against Deripaska? I remember this raid pretty well because some of there was some video footage of it and agents were carrying out all sorts of boxes. They were carrying out things that looked like paintings. Um, they were there for a long time, and 
these are big homes. I mean, this one right here is $42.5 million mansion. Uh, and then now we have news of this former FBI agent who's connected to Deripaska. There being a grand jury subpoena related to an investigation of him. And in possibly related news, you may remember that in April, the $90 million yacht of Victor Vesselberg, Vexelberg was seized. I found the court case for it right here. And then you may remember that earlier this month on September 1st, FBI agents searched the New York and Florida properties linked to Russian oligarch Victor Vexelberg. I, I thought it was two properties. I thought it was two properties. It's more than that, guys. Um, let me read down in here for it. Agents simultaneously searched properties in Manhattan, Hamptons Beach community, and an exclusive Miami Island, all linked to billionaire oligarch Victor Vexelberg. It was a Park Avenue high-rise, an estate in Southampton, the enclave Fisher Island in Miami, and it was all, quote, court-ordered law enforcement activity. The F, there were FBI agents and Homeland Security personnel conducting the searches at the properties. Now, I can't tell you for sure that all these things are connected. But what a, what a, you know, you have three people who are all connected to one another. This FBI agent, Oleg Deripaska, Victor Vexelberg, they're all connected with one another. They've all been raided within the past year. Their properties have been. And FBI agents are pulling items out of their properties. Two of these people, the Russians, have been sanctioned previously. And then we also had that news that ran around, that fake news about Durham winding up his investigation. It's all over. Don't get your hopes up. Durham's basically done. That I covered on Wednesday. We had that fake news that Durham's wind, winded down another grand jury. I don't know, guys. I get the impression that justice is coming. I really do. And Durham has a, uh, he has a, I think it's an ethos. Durham has a belief, a, uh, an S, uh, an SOP. Durham doesn't believe that prosecutors should bring to a grand jury or bring to trial cases that they do not have full confidence that they can get a conviction on. He doesn't believe in wasting taxpayer resources and he doesn't believe in wasting time as a prosecutor with long shot cases. So when I hear the news of a grand jury connected to Durham winding down. 
and which it did that's a you know what really happened is grand juries are only around for so many days and the time the time was up the grand jury was complete um when durham brings a grand jury the likelihood of him getting an indictment or two or three or four out of that grand jury is very high otherwise he would not have brought it in the first place that's how he operates i think it's a very good bet that Durham did get one or more indictments out of this recently closed grand jury. And I just would not be surprised whatsoever if all of these raids and then this news of this FBI agent also being investigated by a grand jury are all connected. I just would, I just would not be surprised. Uh, let's see. I got a few. I got a few minutes left. Just a few minutes. And before I go, I want to play something for y'all. Well, for actually, real quick, let me hit on this. Got this one more piece of swamp draining news. This is actually pretty big news. Um, DOJ is changing the way it prosecutes companies, and it could put more executives in jail. The short of it is this right here. DOJ will change the incentives in negotiations with companies in fraud cases, giving credit to those companies that quickly name and provide info on individual executive wrongdoers. They are going to make it much more difficult for companies to get successive non-prosecution agreements in an effort to avoid the situation where fines are just a cost of doing business. They are also going to emphasize executive compensation clawbacks. So the executives who committed the fraud pay a price and not just the shareholders of the company when a corporation foots the bill for a fine. Some of the stuff that they are getting rid of are the things that were passed after the Enron scandal. And they're going to make it. What's, what's been going on is that these companies who engage in corrupt practices factor in the cost of having to defend their wrongdoing into their bottom line. And then they make a deal with DOJ and they pay a big fine and they keep on doing what they've been doing. They keep on committing these wrongs and they just factor it into the cost of doing business. And that's changing. Now, I got to say, because the name Lisa Monaco was included in this, because people are assuming, oh, it's Biden's DOJ, and look, Lisa Monaco made the announcement, this doesn't mean anything. This is, there, I, there's my comment section right here on this is full of uh, black pill takes and cynical takes and people saying, eh, it doesn't mean much. It's Biden's DOJ. It's Lisa Monaco. Nothing will come of this. Those are bad takes. Those are bad takes. People got to stop reacting and instead understand. This is, this is great news. Take the win. All right. I want to end the show with a clip from 
Devolution Power Hour. Great clip. Uh, this is from the episode from last Wednesday night, episode number 83. And my friend Burning Bright really did a great job synthesizing the importance of narrative seeding and just big picture thinking. Just really good. Let me uh, make sure this is not muted. Okay. But if you if you rewind before that and you look at, you know, 2016, when I talk about narrative seeding, I'm not just talking about some kind of like emotional appeal to try to get people to be happy with what we're going to do. I'm talking about that, to your point, they would have had the truth on their side four years ago if they came out with this stuff. But why didn't they? For me, that's where the narrative shielding come comes in, because the media is or was so powerful that they don't have to refute the truth, they can just bury it. But I think the, the genius of what's been going on recently, and I again, I think the Mar-a-Lago raid is kind of like the most simple uh, example of this, is they have basically baited the media into defending the very institutions that are going to take them down. That's, yeah. that's what I see is going on. It's not gonna be Trump coming in that. with some kind of Trump appointed special you know, special counsel or something like that, or a Trump attorney general, an acting Trump attorney general is not going to bring these charges, I don't believe. I actually agree with, with Just Human that Merrick Garland or a Biden DOJ, or let's say Biden gets out and somebody else gets in, you know, these indictments are going to be coming from the DOJ and the evidence is going to be coming from, from the FBI. So when you're the, the IG's office. Exactly. And if you're the media, you can't not cover that, right? Because you've been running defense. You're at the point where you're literally having Bill Barr on your shows as a mouthpiece for you. Yeah. You know, so perfect how that worked out, huh? Exactly. Right. It's, it's almost <laughs> like it was planned. And I think that's actually another good example of last time I was on, we were talking about the sort of movie narrative. And this might help people understand why when, when people like me talk about the movie, we're not usually talking about, you know, it's, it's all a script. It's all a pre-run script. Everybody you're watching, including CNN anchors, are all in on it. It's, it's game theory. It's literally, yeah. we spend the first administration playing quote-unquote defense. But what's the defense? The defense is intelligence gathering, evidence gathering. They get into the administration. They take over the levers of power. You know, they get access to the intel agencies and access to the DOJ and all the powers that grants. And... They allow the media to do their thing. Now we're at a stage where the country's falling apart. And to top things off, you've got the media that's still going after Trump with the weaponization of intel agencies and all that. So again, when that boomerangs around, I said last time, um, I think in reference to people like Jeff Sessions and Bill Barr and you know all these people, what are they going to do when this DOJ are the ones rolling them up in investigations? Yeah. So, you know, and again, what, what is the normie going to do who was, if you kind of pick, we've all pictured that, that like reing leftist that we know that's been telling us we're idiots for six years. Mm -hmm. They've probably been yelling at us about how Trump is a Russian asset and all that kind of stuff. What is that person going to do when the CNN chirons are telling them that the Clintons paid a literal Russian asset and weaponized the FBI against Donald Trump to frame him, Right. 
it's and when that's being reported because they won't to your point they will not be able to ignore it so it's a yeah. perfect marriage of narrative shielding uh the subconscious is, has been kind of primed for it and the most important part of it is that they actually do have evidence of these crimes couldn't, couldn't agree more um brilliantly stated brilliant brilliantly synthesized and just cogently put out there just amazing amazing uh comments right there from burning bright and man his stuff is so good his substack is amazing and i i love that he has decided to be uh been going on shows been going on uh Chris, he went on Chris Paul's podcast. Didn't he go on Chris? I think he went on Chris Paul's podcast, didn't he? Pretty sure he did. And then uh, also he's been on Power Hour like three times in the past two weeks or something. It's been great. It's been great. And he's absolutely right. All these people freaking out about Bill Barr. Guys, you got to see big picture. You got to think down the road. Uh, <laughs> so, all right. I have to run. My time is up. Um, thank you all for being here this morning. I've enjoyed it. Thank you all for the subscriptions, the coffees, the gold pills over on, uh, on Foxhole. Really appreciate it, guys. It's been another, it's been another great week and, uh, I've enjoyed it. If you get a chance, watch EQ chamber. The panel that we did last night was really good. And, uh, I look, I'm going to try and take this weekend off a little bit. My family has kind of been bugging me like, Hey, you, we need some dad time. Um, we need you to take us somewhere. We need to uh, go do some family stuff. So I'm going to try and disconnect this weekend as much as I can force myself to do and uh, go do dad stuff with the family. And then I'll be back. I'll be back on uh, on Monday, 930 a.m. And we'll do another show. Y'all be blessed. And we're not going to win every battle, but we are going to win this war. And if I was a real pro, I would already have my exit music ready to go. <laughs> oh. oh, man. One day, one day I'm going to figure out this streaming thing. One day. All right. Y'all be blessed. See ya.
I'm the 